listening to Treasuring Scripture, a podcast of the weekly teaching ministry of Lebanon Baptist Church, Roswell, Georgia. To learn more about our ministry, please visit us at LebanonBaptist.org. I hate doing this uh, here at the beginning of, I mean, at the end of such a beautiful song service. This week, uh, I was made aware of two individuals in the church at odds with one another. A leader in the church made me aware of it, and I felt that I needed to, I felt compelled to address it publicly. So I'm going to ask these two individuals to stand. Would Yudia and Syntyche please stand? I am so glad we don't have any visitors by that name. Okay. Our text does give us two individuals in the church who had a conflict. And Paul, a leader in the church, tells us about it. Our text, Paul gives two individuals who are having relational conflict. And I'll tell you this, relational conflict can be extremely devastating, particularly in God's church. I have seen it, and no doubt you have seen it as well. Our text addresses a relational conflict publicly and shows us how important it is to deal with it properly and swiftly. In fact, it's the first of a series of exhortations that we are about to enter into in the book of Philippians. Paul gives these exhortations here at the close of a letter in which he has been striving to tell this church that they ought to live united or together for the gospel. And these commands are essential for them to be able to accomplish this. And and if you're a believer today, if you've come to know Christ, yes, you ought to be a part of a local church and connect yourself and commit yourself to one. But you ought to live together with those people for the sake of the gospel. That's what believers do. That's why you were saved. You were saved to be a part of a family. And you're saved to demonstrate love within that family. And in Philippians chapter 4, Paul begins to really close out the letter, connect everything from the first part of the letter to these final exhortations. In fact, in Philippians 4, which is where I'd like for you to turn, the first verse, verse 1, Paul signals kind of the close of the letter, and it's kind of a key transitional verse. I know I looked at it last week, but it's essential that we kind of look at it this week as well. Listen to what it says in verse 1 of chapter 4. He says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. How do I know that this is such a key verse? Because it's kind of a hinge in this entire book. Because it connects what was in the past to what's coming in the future. We know this by the word, therefore. Whenever you see the word, therefore, he's building on what he's already said. In fact, in the verse, he tells the church that they are to stand.
stand firm, therefore. Because of all the things that I've told you, you've got to be enduring and stand firm. And what he was looking back to was the example that the Apostle Paul had given about his own life that actually was in following of Jesus' life. He says, because I've given you this example and these, all these exhortations, therefore, stand firm together for the gospel. However, this verse also points us forward. You say, how do you know that? Therefore, shows us that it points back. But a little key word right in the middle shows us that he's pointing forward as well. Because he says this, stand firm thus. And what he's doing here is he's saying, I'm about to give you ways that you are going to stand firm. So this verse is in many ways a link from the past to the future. And the goal is that all of us would stand firm continually with Paul's example, but ultimately with Jesus' example, but by also following the closing exhortations that Paul gives in these, this last chapter. And today what I'd like to do is I'd like to look at the first of those commands. And it's a command for two women to come in harmony with one another. A conflict had threatened this church. And this morning we're going to learn this simple truth. When relational conflicts arise... We must not leave them unaddressed, but deal with them biblically. Let me say that again. When relational conflicts arise, and they are going to arise, it happens, it's life. We must not leave them unaddressed, thinking that, oh, they're just going to solve themselves in the end. But we must deal with them biblically if we're going to be together for the gospel. And I'll tell you this. We have conflicts, just knowing the fall, we have conflicts in this church. And we are, it's just the ebb and flow. You have conflicts probably in your family right now. You got to deal with them swiftly and biblically. And we're going to see that today. First of all, I want you to see this as we kind of discover this particular truth. Let's look at the situation and learn this, that relational conflicts will arise. Paul's first exhortation here in chapter 4, as he comes toward the end of the book, is an address to two women, Eudia and Syntyche. Listen to what he says in verse 2. He says, I entreat Eudia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Now, did you notice that he entreats both of them individually? He doesn't say, I entreat Eudia and Syntyche. He says, I entreat Eudia. And I entreat Syntyche. And the idea here was this. Paul was, uh, Paul was wanting to, uh, you could say, not take one of their sides. He was going after each one individually. Evidently, they were at odds with one another. The Bible doesn't spell out what the situation was. The details are not clear. And I'm kind of thankful they aren't because it allows us to apply this text to a myriad of difficulties that arise in the church. This conflict seemed to have been relational, not doctrinal. Why do I believe that? Otherwise, Paul would have just solved it and answered the doctrinal question. He would have just said, hey, just so you know, there's this disagreement. Here's the answer. He addresses them here 
publicly in a letter. You know, sometimes conflicts can get to a place where it has to be dealt with publicly. Because it was affecting more than simply those two women. And I will tell you this, I will ask God's help. If God, and it will take boldness on my part, if, if conflicts continue to arise in here, I ask that God would give me the grace and the leaders the grace that we would address those conflicts when needed publicly. Because Paul does that. But it was affecting, I believe, not just those two, but it was affecting the church. Probably others were taking sides and bitterness was beginning to take root. What do we know about these women? Were they just like perennial problem makers? I don't believe so. In fact, they were believing women who at one point were deeply engaged in the gospel. In his work. Why? Because listen to what it says in verse 3. Yes, I ask you, true yoke fellow, help these women who, who had labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So, what do we know about these women? They're believers. How do we know that? The Bible says that their names are in the book of life. Just like Philippi at that particular day would have had a civic registry of the citizens of Rome within that city, God has a registry. He has an exact list of all the citizens of heaven. Okay, we as a church, we have a list of what we believe are the citizens of heaven Within our community, our church community, we have like 320 or something like that who are members of Lebanon Baptist Church that we believe whose names are not just on our registry but are written in heaven. God knows the flawless list. Just because you got your name on our list, you got to make sure that you're on his list. And he knows, and we call that the Uh, The invisible church. We are often referred to as the visible church, but he knows who the invisible church is. And their names, the Bible says, are in the book of life. Now, the book of life is discussed in other parts of the Bible, and you better be sure your name's in it. Because in Revelation 20, verse 15, it says this, And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. There is a literal hell, and anyone's name who is not in the book of life will be thrown for eternity in the lake of fire. Revelation clearly teaches it. But what do we know about these women? I mean, wouldn't you like to know that the inspired scripture says that your name's in the book of life? Well, we know these ladies are in it, because Paul says it, and he's under the inspiration of the Spirit. These two women are on the list. They're going to live, here it is, they're going to live in harmony in the eternal state. But in the present state, they're not living like citizens of heaven while they're still in the kingdoms of men. Because in the kingdom of heaven, we are going to live together in what? In unity, in love, in faith. 
And if we're not there, we got problems because we're to live like citizens of heaven now with other believers within the faith. What else do we know about them? They were also described as serving side by side in the gospel. That little phrase side by side was used only one other time earlier in the book of Philippians. And it carried the idea of being involved in hand to hand combat in the gospel. They were active in the gospel. They were probably on all the Philippian ministry teams. In fact, in, in, in our Sunday school class, we've been talking, uh, we've just recently done a series on with the men in one class and the women in the other class. And in our Sunday school, we were reminded of the tremendous value of women in the early church. And in fact, the Philippian church, the church, the letter that we've been examining was founded on the conversion of a businesswoman named Lydia. She had come to Christ and God grew the church through this particular woman. In fact, she was gathered with other ladies by a particular river that was going out of the city. And very possibly, we don't know this, but just a suggestion that maybe two of the other women who at some point came to Christ, maybe even through Lydia's testimony, testimony is Eudia and Syntyche. Maybe they were part of the foundational part of the gospel. We don't know. But evidently, they worked hard in the church. They were probably working in the nursery. They were maybe the greeters. They maybe helped cook the Philippians' potluck dinners. They maybe were best friends at one point. But something happened. Something happened, and now it had to be addressed publicly. I'll tell you this, oftentimes... Feelings get hurt. It's going to happen. Bitterness can slowly set in. It starts small, and and what's going to happen is this. You will see other leaders' flaws before long. I mean, the more time you get with me, the more you see... I am a, uh, it's nice, a lot of you see me on Sundays, and I'm up front, and I'm having to preach the gospel, but the more time you get with me, and and our staff can give it, my wife can give it to you very clearly, okay, the more you spend time with people, and the more you get involved in ministry, and the more you get to know other sinners, you will see flaws. They're going to happen. It happens. But what happens is, is when you begin to see another person's flaws, sometimes their sins, sometimes their mess-ups, and you begin to focus on it. And soon, a little bit of bitterness can set in. And I'll tell you this, when that pride and bitterness sets in, it is sure to start to affect others. Because you can't keep it in for so long. All of a sudden, hey, this is what happened. Did you, you know what Pastor Scott did? Did you see how he handled that situation? Did you see Judy? You see what she did in the nursery? Yeah. You know what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15? It says this. This is what we're supposed to do. See to it. 
that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And notice the end of this phrase, and by it, many become what? Defiled. All it takes is a little root. Let me tell you, parents in this room, did you know that your own little bitterness at different people within this congregation, before long, your kids are going to pick up on it. And you are planting seeds of bitterness that I would say in some ways are going to come back on you one day. And if you don't learn how to handle those conflicts now and as little roots, I mean, all of us know, when do you pick a weed as early as you can? It's a whole lot easier. You keep short accounts with other people. As we serve Jesus... Ministry is going to get dicey at times, and relational tensions arise. It's going to happen. The more you get involved, you should get involved in church, and you should get with other people. But the heavier you load yourself into it, the more you're going to see it, and the more you're going to need the gospel, because you work with imperfect people. Maybe it's in the nursery. Something happened with you and another nursery worker. Maybe it's the worship team. And maybe, oh, they're getting to play a little bit more often than me. Or C, or some of you are like, I've never been asked to be on the worship team. Mark must not like me. And you start listening to it. Maybe it's in the sound booth, the tension. Maybe it's on the building committee. Or maybe it's in the deacons. And there's another deacon that you're just upset with. Or maybe it's how the staff does things. You don't necessarily like the way that I've chosen to do this or that. Or one of the other pastors. You know, we had to deal with COVID. How would you have liked to have been in a lot of our positions? It's hard. We have to make a call. We had to deal with a a load of different opinions. Did that get you? Maybe maybe it's a staffing issue of, of how we've done staffing things. You think we should hire or fire or replace, or maybe it's a missions decision. Oh, I don't like how they've chosen to go this particular direction with missions. They focus on this or that. I don't like how they handle this life stage Bible class. Or maybe it's even at the workday. I don't like that decision about landscaping. They should have used black mulch instead of brown mulch. As crazy as that may be, sometimes it's something as simple as that, that the devil likes to throw wedges in bitterness and destroy people. The problem, uh, I mean, before I go there, at some point, someone will make a call that you don't align with. It's going to happen. And they'll hurt you. And you'll read into it lack of love. Maybe you'll read into it sin. And I'll tell you this, the problem is not that these situations arise, because they are. 
The most basic reality of a, a church is that sinners live there. It's going to happen. You're not going to find the perfect church. Beware of hunting down the perfect church because when you arrive, it's no longer perfect. So my question to you today is this. Is there someone that you're not at harmony with? Is there someone that you actually, you have a hard time looking at a church or a hard time praying for and a hard time hugging? You avoid them. You get agitated by them. Let me ask you this. What will your relationship be with that person? What will it be like when you get to heaven and you're citizens of heaven? What will it look like? Why not now? Why not now? That's the question. You know what it begins with? It begins in your home with your spouse. If you are married to a, a believing spouse, you know what? You should be seeking to solve those things at the cross. And we'll talk about that. You work at that with your kids. Let me give you this. I'll give you a little bit of hope. I can say this from my own life. Some of my deepest Past hurts were inflicted by some of my closest present friends. Can I say that again? Some of my deepest past hurts were inflicted by some of my closest present friends. And I can only say that is because of the grace of God poured in those relationships. And some of you right now, you're on a track of destroying some of your great future friends because you won't be humble enough to accept the gospel and live according to it. So what's the solution? What's the solution? Well, he gives it to us. The solution is this. Set your minds on the gospel. On the gospel. What must happen when relation difficulties arise? Well, isn't it great when the Bible just tells us what to do? It's great. Verse 2 says this. I entreat Udia and I entreat Syntyche to what? Agree where? In the Lord. Agree in the Lord. As I mentioned to you before, they're both entreated. And of course, entreat is a strong word. It's not necessarily a command But he's begging them to come to agreement, not maybe necessarily about that situation. But he says, I want you to agree in the Lord. And the word agree in the Lord was used earlier. Okay, it says, in fact, take your Bibles and go just a couple of chapters prior to chapter 2. I want to remind you where it shows up before. In chapter 2, verse 2, he says this. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Here it is. That's where it's at. I want you to agree in the Lord. Having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. And then he says a few verses later in verse 5, he says this, have this mind among yourselves. And that's the word as well. It's agree, have this mind, have the same thoughts in mind. And what should they be? In the Lord. 
Now, let me just say that this wasn't, let me tell you what what this wasn't. It wasn't a call for them to lay aside false doctrine for the sake of unity. This was other issues. This was, you could say, secondary issues. They were supposed to do this instead. They were supposed to both rejoice in Jesus and choose to live in harmony with one another. Paul was calling these ladies, both of them, to get their minds thinking about Jesus. Now catch this. Jesus, the Bible says, we know what was in his mind. And what was in his mind, it says, though he was in the form of God. Okay. Did God ever get anything wrong? Did he have all the right solutions? Was he perfect in everything that he chose to do? He did not think of equality with God a thing to be grasped, thing to be exploited. He didn't live in the position, I'm right, they're going to come to it. No, what did he do? He humbled himself and he took on the form of a what? A servant and was made in the likeness of men. I'm right, they're wrong. They go to hell. And some of you, the way you treat your friends is you're like basically saying, oh, you're wrong. This is going to end that way. What does he do? He took on the form of a servant. And you know what? He, he humbled himself and became obedient. How obedient did he come? Even to the death of the cross. He was willing to die and go to the cross. What? To help people who were what? Who were wrong. Who didn't line up with him. Is not the gospel big enough for you to solve your measly little issues? Is not Jesus worth it? Is he not enough? Isn't he great? Shouldn't we strive to do this? God's call to you is to live with a mind echoing Jesus' mindset. No one is perfectly righteous, but Jesus was, and he lived humbly and serving others for the good of others. Let me say this. If you think you're always right, let me say you have pride in your life. Be willing I'll say this, be willing to simply die to your own kingdom so you can focus on his kingdom. I'm looking at a congregation of sinners who relationally, you know what you all are like? You're like all bulls in a china shop. You hurt people. When I was a youth pastor, I used to drive a really big bus. In fact, I still have my CDL with an air brake endorsement. When I got behind that bus, sometimes I I miss things. Sometimes you try to catch all the blind spots, but I could have taken people out and I never even knew it. It's just the nature of doing things. All of you, because your fallen condition, you are going to put Michelin tracks on other people here and there. And I will because I'm having to drive a big bus. 
And oftentimes, the more you get up in leadership, the more you're going to realize, I mess up, I, I fail, I, I'm, I'm flawed. And, but understand that. Isn't the gospel enough? Yes. Pray for, I mean, we'll get to that. Always, and I'll just say this, always suspect yourself. When there's a relational tendency, it's easy to do this. But where you need to start is you need to do this. Okay, where was I wrong in this? Where was I wrong in this? What do I need to see? Pray the most powerful prayer you could pray at that time. I love the prayer, and it's a dangerous prayer to pray. Psalm 139, where it says, God, you know everything about me. You know when I rise up, you know when I sit down, you know this, you know this, you know this. And then at the end of the the psalm, it says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and see if there be any wicked way in me and make it clear to me so I can turn from it. I recently prayed that prayer and it was like, ha ha, you asked, here you go. I, I, I beg you by the Spirit of God, if there's relational tendency, you pray that prayer for an entire week asking God to do something. And I'll tell you this, it will do wonders in your life. And then what God tells you to do, you better go do it. Reveal what I've done wrong. Inspect yourself. Ask yourself, could I have gotten bitter? And by God's grace, here it is, embrace the gospel rather than your hurt. Did you catch that? Embrace the gospel rather than the hurt that was inflicted upon you. Then the question comes this. What if I have friends in church who aren't getting it right? And they're continuing to live at hostility toward one another. Even they're they're stubborn and they just, they've gotten into this ditch and they just can't get out. I mean, this just came to my mind. It was a while back. I, I saw this YouTube video of there was this really, I mean, narrow ditch and this sheep had gotten stuck in it. And you see this shepherd come and he's like, Yanking on the sheep. Okay, you can YouTube this uh, if you if you want to afterwards. He, he's yanking the sheep out, and as soon as he gets the sheep out, the sheep jumps up and starts running along by the side of the ditch and jumps to jump over it and lands right back into the ditch. <laughs> it's hilarious. I think it was on one of my pastor blogs. Like this is pastoring sometimes. And why was I telling you that story? (laughs) So yeah, sometimes some of your friends are going to get caught in a ditch and they just, they're not getting out. They're not getting out. They're stubborn and sometimes you're going to need to go and help. And that's what this text also does. Look what it says in verse three. He says this, do nothing. Oh, I'm back to chapter two, back to chapter four. He says this, yes, I ask you also, 
true companion. Help those women who labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So did you notice, first of all, he says, yes, okay? And then he says, indeed, yes, indeed. And then he addresses a person entitled true yoke fellow. This is kind of a big interpretational thing. A lot of people have questioned what's going on here. I personally think that it was a person. And maybe some people believe that this was a proper name and his name meant true yoke fellow. Or maybe Paul was just using a pun, a one that all of these people knew about, this guy who was just good at helping people solve their differences. And when he says, hey, true yoke fellow, he's referring to this person. Maybe he was an elder in the church. Maybe it was Luke who happened to be at the church at this time. We don't know. But what does he do? He calls on this guy to exercise what evidently he's really good at. Coming along somebody and helping people get yoked together. He says, I want you to help them. And that word help is a word that's used in other places. It's a very strong word. In fact, it was used in seizing Jesus in his arrest. The idea is, I want you to jump on this. I want you to help. With yes, indeed, and I ask you, and help, it carries the idea of urgency for this guy. It's almost like what one commentator, he, he kind of said it this way. Help them, you must. It's an order, even though I just ask you. You've got to do something about this. There's a problem. You know what our society does? When there's relational differences with other people, don't get involved. You're going to get your head cut off. And sometimes it feels like it. Because when you step into a situation, it can, it can be dicey. You can, you, can, you can sometimes get misunderstood. Now, was Jesus ever misunderstood? But he lived out the gospel. And he was willing to be hurt for you. And sometimes, for the sake of the gospel, some of you need to grab the bull by the horns. To say, so help me God. And you say, how do you do this? Do you know, okay, you may not be necessarily in a relational conflict at this time. Or maybe, okay, if you're not sure, then do that search me, oh God thing for like a week. Think about all your relationships. God, where is it at? What do I need to do? But if God reveals like there's nothing there, but you know of another one that it's just festering and it's just growing. And at some point it's going to come. It could, it could get to the public at some point. What are you going to do? Well, you'd say, God, by your grace, I want to help these people solve their problems. And so what do you do? You start to pray. And what does God say? Call unto me, and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which gives to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. That he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. I love that verse. If any man, I mean, it says, uh, and this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. 
And the idea is, God, I'm going to ask for your help in this situation. I know you're, you're calling me to step in, and I'm going to ask that you give me help. And then what do you do? You do what Galatians 6 says. What does it say? It says, brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of what? Gentleness. But at the same time, keep watch over yourself, lest you too be tempted. We are to bear one another's burden and so fulfill the law of Christ. You know, next week, we're going to have the Lord's table here. And as we take the Lord's table, one of the things we take the Lord's table with is we make sure we're right with each other relationally. We're supposed to do that. So the question is, who do you need to get right with? Who do you need to help people get right with? What if your spouse is in a conflict with another person in the church? How do you come alongside your spouse to help them to deal with that? What if you know a couple in this church that is having great conflict? That's when you lovingly at times need to step in and help. And that's why I want to train more and more of just crisis discipleship people who come in and just love people and bring Jesus into the equation. Wouldn't it be great if Jesus got into all the equations? Because what's heaven going to be like? The gospel was so that you and I could live like citizens of heaven now. The power that you and I have is to solve. And what should a church do? The church should be about unity. We should be getting right with one another. So Lebanon Baptist Church, if we're going to be together for the gospel and stand firm, what does that mean? It means this. When relational conflicts arise... We must leave, not leave them unaddressed, but deal with them biblically. You need to embrace the gospel with them, that other person, rather than their, your hurt. Some of you, I mean, maybe an illustration, some of you have summer plans with extended family. And some of you know, as you get to that summer plans with your extended family, you're going to be with a bunch of unsafe people. And some of you are like, man, it is... It's torture. You say, I can deal with this for a week. Let me remind you, we're all going to spend eternity with the other people in this church. We're going to spend eternity with them. We're citizens of heaven. Jesus did everything he could to bring about reconciliation. He who did not spare his only son, but gave him up for you. Shall he not freely give you all things? Let's live Lebanon Baptist Church as citizens of heaven. Last week as I was leaving, uh, I was talking to a gentleman who had been visiting with his family. He says, nowadays, when people leave church question sometimes people ask is, how did you enjoy the message? Maybe it's you stand over the message and you kind of make your decisions based on what you thought of the message. But he says, a hundred years ago, the right question that people asked was this, how did you fare under the word? This morning, 
how did you fare under the word? You have the decision to make. You can either humble yourself. The Bible says God resisteth the proud, but he gives what to the humble? Grace. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. It says later, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Are you a sheep that's caught in the ditch today? Okay. You have a shepherd who would love to pull you out. His name is Jesus. It doesn't matter how big the ditch is. He's great and he can pull it out. Let him work in your heart today. Let's pray. Father, you know what's been needed in the hearts of your people today. And I ask that you would allow the weight of your word to rest heavy on your people. And Lord, help them to see as it weighs heavy on them that there is one Jesus who wants to restore and bring unity and bring progress. And Lord, help them to go to your son for strength. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, why don't you just take a moment to talk to God about the word that you just sat under today and ask him to do what he wants to do in your heart. You take a moment to talk to the Lord about that. Thank you for listening to Treasuring Scripture. It's our desire that every Christian treasure God's Word in their heart. To follow our podcast, please hit the subscribe button. If you're interested in learning more about our church, please visit LebanonBaptist.org.